I'll be reading from Luke 11, verse 29 to 32. The Sign of Jonah. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, The evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. The Queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. The people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Hi, friends. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm on the ministry team here. And if we've not met, I'd love uh, to meet you at some point. Uh, we're presently in the midst of a newcomer's life group, my wife and I, and it's so lovely to be meeting new people. And many of these people are joining us online week after week. Uh, love to meet you. Information is on our team page on our website. Hey, today we're continuing uh, in our uh, Gospel of Luke and this little series that we're calling Inside and Out. And we're, of course, considering the passages that Carol just read. When Julie and I and our very young son drove for the first time into uh, our new city, Montreal, where we were moving, we had quite an experience. Uh, a lot of traffic, there was a lot of trucks, there was a lot of moving parts, and the hardest part of making our way across the city to the South Shore was the fact that we had a hard time reading the signs. We didn't expect it. The signs, of course, are all in French, and we knew some French, and we had quite a hard time navigating the roads, the bridges, the boulevards, the highways. Actually, when we pulled up uh, into our new home, uh, the one that was driving the truck with our stuff in it, he got out of the truck, and his face was pale, and he says, I've been white-knuckling it for an hour and 15 minutes. It was, it was quite a time reading the signs. As we uh, settled in, uh, we came to realize that the signs were fine. There was actually ample signs to move all the cars and all the vehicles and all the trucks around that busy city. You just needed to how to read them and learn to appreciate them. And that, of course, became our new journey. In Luke chapter 11, the subject of signs is in front of uh, in front of the story here. As many were trying to find their way, and as Luke Knight reminded us last week, trying to figure out who this new Jesus was, asking honest questions about whether Jesus could be trusted, and having a hard time to read the signs that were around Jesus at the time. They did just like I did when I moved into that new season of my life. They, they asked for new signs rather than learn to read the ones that were in front of them and actually been around for a long, long time. For I'm sure it was, was hard to believe what they were hearing and seeing from this new Jesus as he walked among them. He, he spoke a different language and he acted differently. 
he spoke and, and things that happened were absolutely new and incredible. Jesus was turning the world upside down and he actually needed to. It was just a lot to keep up with. As the crowds came around Jesus and it stated, Luke stated it, the crowds were gathering. Um, Jesus was, was realizing crowds were coming far and wide and and as they were, he was inviting them into a shared future. Jesus spoke in the text, something greater than Solomon is here. Um, something greater than Jonah is here. And of course, by highlighting, Jesus is pointing to himself. A greater way is now uh, a, a choice for all of us to make. There's a better way to go. There's new signs. There's a new season. And of course, Jesus was talking about himself, pointing to himself and to the bright future that Jesus offered his followers. But as we read in our text, instead of following Jesus and reading the signs that were in front of them, many in the crowd, many of the religious leaders of the day, they backpedaled and they asked for more signs. Matthew, a parallel passage and recording of this story, is worded this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. To which Jesus responds in our text in Luke chapter 11, 29, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Why did Jesus refuse a new sign? Well, we studied last week, Luke did a great job helping us appreciate the context and what was happening prior to this passage. Uh, Jesus had delivered a man from a demon possession. And so here Jesus identifying a wickedness was not based on frustration from forgetfulness because it had just happened, and it was there for most of them to see. But Jesus is refusing a new sign, perhaps for a few different reasons. It's not forgetfulness. Jesus realizes that sign-seeking is asking God, perhaps, to audition for us. God, prove yourself. As if God was some type of a puppet or a popular magician, Sign-seeking is actually truly a form of disbelief and unbelief. Sign-seeking seekers are fundamentally preoccupied with comparisons or options. Is, is this all there is to you and your message and your ministry, Jesus? Sign-seekers are truly questioning here Jesus' love. A sign-seeking type of faith puts me in charge. These people are rooting themselves in their own thinking and their own wisdom, thus misplacing faith in themselves uh, rather than God, who, again, knows all things, can do all things, and how easy it is for us to forget that. A sign-seeking type of faith is a faith that tends to reject the signs that we don't like. And, of course... Uh, this crowd, the Pharisees that had gathered, they were standing in the midst of multiple signs. They just didn't like them. And so they were trying to turn the channel. Again, a sign-seeking type of faith 
causes us to miss as well the obvious faith-building signs that are around us presently. Again, as I just said, prior to this question, uh, provoking question to Jesus, they many of them had just wished that, uh, uh, witnessed uh, the, the deliverance of a demon-possessed man. These people had heard Jesus' teaching. Uh, they had heard him prioritize, and they had seen miraculously. If not seen, they had heard miraculous things that Jesus were doing. And it seems that they forgot and didn't like what they were seeing. It's interesting that I've been studying this passage for quite some time. It certainly lands into my life presently in a very appropriate and timely way. Perhaps some of you are aware of the um, interest we have to move Julie's father from Ontario to British Columbia. Uh, wonderful 86-year-old man, my mother-in-law passed away in August, and as a widower, we have a, an interest to have him, of course, close so that we can uh, care for him. Such good people. Um, her parents live with us in Victoria. It was awesome. And um, again, of course, the interest to be close, to be able to uh, care is, of course, something on our minds right now. As we've tried to sort this out, let me, let me be authentic with you. Uh, there's been no shortage uh, in these last number of years to wrestling with what's best for all of us and trying to discern uh, appropriate responses. This has taken us to multiple places. It's taken us closer to our friends to solicit advice. Uh, we've found uh, professional counseling. Uh, we've discerned scripture. We've prayed together as a family. Uh, we've asked open-ended questions of everybody that we can possibly think of. And we've been asking God for a sign. The challenge, of course, of this passage is perhaps it's, I'm so close to my heart uh, trying to be responsible in the midst of a situation that I care deeply about. How uh, this passage is highlighting perhaps some misplaced prayers, misplaced, misguided thoughts on my part. God, prove your love for our family by making this happen. I've actually prayed that. Not sure that if I was there that day, Jesus maybe would have corrected me. Many times I've asked, as I said, asked God for a sign, uh, catching myself even this last eight weeks as we're praying, God, open that door and doing it with tremendous persistence. Uh, many times posturing and even complaining, God, do you really have this? Do you really care about things that matter most to us? How obvious it is sometimes that God's plans, his perfect plans are not our plans and his ways are not our ways and there's no good way to try to find a way to control God's planning. It's hard to let go and trust God with things that matter most to us. One of the things that I've seen come to surface in my heart over the last number of years are things that are not healthy. Perhaps a selfishness. Uh, God, I, I want you involved in my family, but I, I want you involved on my terms and according to my timing. I've seen a bit of arrogance. 
God, I want you to be God, and I will tell you the best way for you to act. This is the God I like. Uh, It shows a shallowness, a faith that perhaps is not deep enough, perhaps does not trust enough. And wow, it gets hard, of course, when you're in the midst of sorting out family matters. But as we, as we hear this passage and as we imagine the situation unfolding, what Jesus was doing was not saying no to this audience. He was asking this audience to understand the yes of his interaction. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, I've shared this verse before and it's so important uh, to my faith. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. As we have felt the no in our uh, family narrative, we are doing our best not to live with the no, but to live with the yes. Because God is always about doing what is best. That particular day, and even today, as I uh, share a bit of our story, that day, he was encouraging them to say yes Uh, to what they had already seen, all that they had already heard, and all that they already knew about Jesus. They knew a lot more about him than they realized, and Jesus had certainly said yes to them in all of his manners of which he cares and counsels them and provides for them, even miraculously. On that day, if there would be no gigantic new signs, then what could, would, and should anchor these people's faith. Jesus said, well, something greater than Solomon is here and something greater than Jonah is now here. It's worded this way in the text we read, Luke eleven thirty: For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Matthew's account words this way, Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. What is the miraculous sign? Well, Jesus said, I'll be the sign. And he was the sign because of his death, burial, and resurrection. So here Jesus is using an illustration to show uh, a familiar story of a familiar person, the minor prophet Jonah, who found himself in the belly of a large fish for three nights, three days, and was there uh, vomited up to complete the work that he had, uh, God had in his mind for Jonah. In the same way, Jesus, in the days ahead, and he was already talking about it, would it submit himself to the cross, would die, be buried for three days, rise again to carry on the personal interest of God uh, participating as a Lord and Savior in the world today. So the cross is the permanent sign. The empty tomb is the permanent sign and is the big yes for us within our lives today. Why the cross and the tomb? What do they speak of? Well, they speak of, of course, the power of God to superintend a redemptive plan for all people and all creation. And that plan is still unfolding. And we need to pay attention to the message of the cross and the resurrection. 
The cross and tomb speak of God's unconditional and absolute love of God, which is always on full display. Even for my family during difficult times, sorting out uh, how best to care for the needs of an 86-year-old good man. Cross and the tomb speak of the fact also that God has conquered two things that we can't, and that, of course, is death and sin. Death through resurrection and sin through forgiveness, atonement, and deliverance. And so the cross and the empty tomb challenges the narrative in Luke chapter 11 and will always challenge our personal narratives. And it helps us to live responsibly with unanswered prayers, even when life would seemingly be so much better if God would change things, give us a new sign, and answer a prayer. God asks us to believe. And that's what this passage primarily is about. It's in some way what Luke was highlighting last week. Who is this Jesus And will we believe? Will we place the full weight of our lives upon him? Question last week amongst many, but it certainly is again the question this week. He invites us to leave our curiosity and our interest in signs and wonders at the foot of the cross and at the entrance of the empty tomb and leave the the rest with God. God asks us to be fully abandoned ourselves and follow Jesus and let Jesus do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Living this type of life ultimately requires trust and obedience to say that God has got this, God has got me, and God has got the issues that are of importance to me and the people that I care deeply about. He's got this. John talked a little bit about appropriate responses to Jesus. It's worded this way in John 4, 23, 24. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So here we've got a little bit of contrast. We've got the sign seekers. And then we've got Jesus actually seeking worshipers. And oh, that we would respond to what Jesus is longing for from us rather than us longing for things from him. So here we we see uh, the call uh, for us to be worshipers. And God knows it is best for us when we lift God up into the context of we bringing our little stories into the larger stories of God's beautiful narrative, caught up in the magnitude of the greatness and wisdom and power of God through worship. John 4 says the Father is seeking such people to worship him. One of the values of Living Waters Church is worship. And it's important for us to understand what worship is. Many equate worship with a few moments of singing uh, with the instruments in an auditorium on a Sunday for a few minutes. And that certainly lends itself to good, good habits and good practice, of course. But this is only one aspect of worship. But worship is in no way limited to song. Worship, in its truest sense, is a full life response to the object of the one that we're worshiping. Worship is a life response to the worthiness of its object. 
So when we worship God, we do so in response to who he is. And of course, this will affect our lives in a positive way. Psalm 52.9 says, I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will trust you in your good name and the presence of your faithful people. See, worshipers are not preoccupied with more signs. They're occupied with worshiping in spirit and in truth, things that we have. We have a spirit, and so we will worship with our spirit. God is a spirit, so we will worship with a spirit to spirit, and a real intimate relationship will grow. We will worship in truth. Um, the things that we know about God to be true, truths about God, what he does, and all how he is worthy of our good worship. Through our worship, we declare his truth. We worship God based on, upon the truth of who he is, the truth of who we are, and the truth of what God does, and the truth of what is going on in our world today. So we apply truth uh, to our situations. Perhaps you've heard it said, you can't worry and worship at the same time. That's a good reminder today. There could be lots to worry about these days. What is true is that those reasons give us good interest and need, perhaps not to worry, but more to worship, to take our needs, to take our requests, to take the full weight of our lives and to offer it to Jesus. Psalm 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. God is seeking these type of worshipers today and people of prayer. Notice the wisdom from Paul to the Philippian church. Tell God what you need. This is not telling God what to do. Show me a sign. This is God. This is what I need today. Being honest, dealing with my in-laws, I've, I've had to talk to God about my concerns so often and most recently so much. Sharing disappointments, frustrations, and even anger. I've helped, have had to ask God for me uh, to have help to understand the why. And the second part of that is thank him for all he has done. Past, present, and it points to a promising future because God is so with us. So back to my story in Montreal. It didn't take long to realize that we didn't need new signs. There was lots of signs, appropriate signs, around them. We just needed to read them and we needed to follow them. There was more than enough. And because of this, we were able to comfortably find our way. So as followers of Jesus, perhaps we don't need a bunch of new signs like the ones the crowd were asking for in Luke chapter 11. Perhaps we actually have all that we need to live responsibly today as we worship in spirit and in truth. In just a few moments, we're going to sing uh, together a very appropriate song, New Wine. I look forward to singing that with you. But before we do, we wanted again to recognize some of the most important signs. And we wanted to bear witness to that together today, the communion table. Appropriate that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said, hey, when you gather around the table, one of the most appropriate things to do is to prayerfully examine your life. 
examine your life in the context of these good and healthy signs of commitment to Jesus, to us. This is Jesus's yes to us. And so I, as I gather today, I am reminded of some of my uh, disclosure today in this message. I bring my, huh, uh, perhaps selfishness. I bring perhaps my arrogance. I bring my shallowness to the mercy and grace of God We allow ourselves to be examined. Paul went on to say, hey, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to receive. Come boldly. This is what you need. Come and receive the grace and the mercy that are represented, of course, highlighting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 it words it this way, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you're holding uh, that bread in your hand today, uh, let's, let's break the bread together and let's be thankful uh, for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Uh, or on Jesus' mind uh, so many years ago and still on Jesus' mind. So we partake of that which we need today uh, from Jesus. Let's receive freely together. Paul continued in the same way, uh, verse 23, then verse 25, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup, is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink of the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you for the invitation that you give us. We thank you that you are a God that says yes to us. And we receive your yes today. We receive what we need from you. You are on our side. Thank you for uh, this ultimate, beautiful, permanent messaging that comes to us through the cross, through the empty tomb, and through this witness in our spirit today that you're with us and you care deeply about us. Lord, I pray for my friends today, as I pray for myself, that you would draw near to us as we make room for you. Lord, we have, many of us carry some, some very great concerns for matters that are very close to our heart. We pray that you would lift the concern, that you would uh, give us that witness in our spirit that you're with us and that everything is going to be okay as we allow you to uh, see your will and your ways unfold. Help us to be good followers of you this week. We want to uh, be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.